Thank you for listening to Lone Star Community Radio. This program was broadcasted and recorded live from the LSCR studios in downtown Conroe, Texas. Lone Star Community Radio is supported by listeners like you. Donate and sponsor today. For more information on getting involved with Lone Star Community Radio, contact us at lscrstudios at gmail.com or visit us online at www.irlonestar.com. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us on the Cindy Cochran Show. This afternoon, uh, we are, are proudly, proudly sponsored by the Wooten Financial Group. And uh, today, we absolutely have the man, Chris Wooten, with us, and we're going to be talking to him. But I just wanted to tell you how much I, um, I, had, I had a lot of fun this week uh, with different people, you know, coming in. And so I saved you best for last. <laughs> and uh, we need this right now because money is a big deal to everybody. And um, and I guess who is taking care of your money? If you feel like it's over and above your head like I do. But I feel like if I have someone that is uh, so knowledgeable and uh, so trustworthy that, that uh, this is the guy I've got to have, um, I found him in Chris Wooten. And, uh, and, you know, I tell you, Sam doesn't like very many people and doesn't trust very many people, <laughs> but he loves Chris Wooten, and he's watching right now. Hi, Sam. Um, but I wanted to uh, tell everybody that he's been in business like over 21 years and in Conroe, Texas, and, and the people in Conroe certainly don't, you know, give loyalty to anybody that they don't really believe in i mean they don't take any of that stuff they they were your small town you know your small town and uh so if they like you they'll keep you and they've kept him over 21 years in, in business and so we're happy and so proud to have you chris and we're not just being sweet because you're our sponsor <laughs> we're not no we well, are i appreciate that <laughs> it, and it's fun to be here i enjoy coming on so well, thank you for having me again we, just, we we love your loyalty. You're just amazing. <laughs> this is like the third time you have upped up be, being the sponsor again, and we really appreciate yeah. it. So, um, okay, we have, well, let's see, so many different things to talk about. And do you see how the mic is poised next to Richard's mouth? I do. So okay. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm assuming Richard may have some. Yeah. Richard doesn't. And I'm, yeah. I've given him, I've been so gracious and to allow him yeah. to question my guests. So let's just remember, is this Cindy Cochran? No. no. Oh, well, I can just kill your mic right now. No. Oh. <laughs> she has control of the whole thing. Okay. It's All right. Fun. You can ask a question. It's okay. Go ahead. You'd be the first one. Well, oh. well what are we going to talk about? Well, I want to I talk about um, one thing we... We had talked on the on when I was going home the other day. I called Chris, and we talked all the way to me going home. I, and I said, I felt like Chris had just done the show. He just did the whole show right right now. I feel so bad if I could have recorded it, you wouldn't have had to come in. But um, no, I I love this one part. And if, and if we could just start with that part, and then I want you to talk about what you feel like our listeners need to know. Oh is, goodness, is. Uh, is the part where you, where I said, now if somebody comes in and they don't have, you know, all the money they think somebody that that's going to need a financial person, an expert, mm-hmm. um, they just don't have that much money, and they may be embarrassed to say, I only have twenty thousand dollars. Is that anything that that uh, I, you could deal with, or does it need to be at least two hundred thousand, or, you know, what is your answer to them? Well, I. I think, generally speaking, a lot of people uh, they they do have some hesitancy if they if they think in their mind mm-hmm. that they don't have wealth, right? That they're not rich. Well, you know, however you want to phrase it. And I, you know, the way I was brought up, I mean, my our firm doesn't have account minimums, right? I now, love that. Now That's good. you and and the look, I mean, the reason has like you and I talked about is. I have clients that have $10 million, and I have clients that have $10,000, right? They both worked hard for what they have, and I just don't believe we should treat people differently. Now, if you have a smaller amount of money, that may limit you on some of the things that you're able to do or or be a part of or whatever. Um, That's just kind of part of how things are structured um, in the industry. But it doesn't mean you should be treated any differently, 
in, in terms of getting help, you know, creating a plan, you know, having goals and moving forward and having somebody hold you accountable to that, right? Right. Um, and, but I do understand why certain firms do have minimums. I mean, there, there are firms, uh, I don't know, you hear the commercials all the time, the, what's the guy? Um, Fisher. Fisher Investments. You yes. Know, no offense, Fisher Investment guys, if you're part of Fisher. <laughs> Half a million dollars. If you have $500,000, you know, give us a call, that type of thing, right? Well, yeah, but it, those people also say if you have $500,000 to invest, you may be retired and not even know it. Yeah, well, yeah, I know who you're talking about with that, and we'll, <laughs> we'll just kind of leave that alone. But anyways, um, I, look, I mean, the, the bottom line is the reason firms typically have account minimums um, has to do more with liability, mm-hmm. okay, and the fact that on a small account, if something were to happen, let's say, where you had a liability issue as a firm at that level, you're, you're just not making the money to cover your internal cost at the firm, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and that is a true statement, right? Uh, so they will go after the bigger fish because it provides more revenue and more income and so forth. Right. Um, and they can cover their costs of having employees and the technology that's uh, required nowadays and, you know, the compliance. I mean, compliance is one of the, oh, man. the biggest and yeah. fastest and most uh, inflationary cost to most of our firms right now. So, um, but I just, you know, for many, many years, we have chosen not to do that. And uh, we, we just don't have a count minimum. So, well, it, it made me feel good when you said that. You said you don't, it's, we don't look at you because of the amount of money you have. That's, and, we, and I don't consider wealth, you know, a certain number. I consider it, you know, how you use it and how, how you mm-hmm. use your money and, and no, all that's that. that's right. And that's, that's a great character, you know, witness to be able to say that, that you can you well, look at them different. You don't look at them differently if you have a 20 million or 20,000. Yeah. Well, I mean, so if someone says, you know, I, I'd really like to be a client here, but I'm not wealthy. I right. mean, many times in meetings I have said, well, define wealthy. Right. I mean, that that's a relative term that means a lot of different things to different people. Okay. I mean, even our industry, we, we have tiers, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a million dollars or less, you're just the average Joe investor. If you're over a million dollars, you're considered, and I would say one to probably 10 to 15 million, you're considered a high net worth investor, okay? Uh, If you're above that, you're considered an ultra high net worth investor. Okay, and I'm sure there, I don't know, there may be a category above that somewhere. Uh, I uh, but, can't wrap my, round, but, but my we, mind around it. Our yeah. industry has kind of put parameters on things, yes. right? Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, and I think I mentioned this to you the other day when we were talking, um, I have known seven-figure income clients, people that have come in, that were just as broke <laughs> as somebody that had... <laughs> let's just say two or three hundred thousand dollars saved and they were mm-hmm. getting ready to retire mm-hmm. um, they were just as broke they're just broke at a much higher level meaning their lifestyle is such that the amount of money which looks like a ton of money mm-hmm. but compared to the lifestyle they lead they're no different than somebody who's got two or three hundred thousand dollars in the bank and is trying to retire in many respects yes okay so that. you know don't don't cut yourself short, you know, Mm -hmm. don't cheat yourself in terms of uh, trying to get a plan, financial plan pulled together and, you know, setting goals for retirement and those kind of things. Because it just, it, every single person that comes in, that's what I love about what I do is everybody's unique. Every single situation is unique. Well, and you, that you treat them that way. That's what's so amazing. And there's no one more unique than Richard. So if Richard has a question (laughs) that he, like, let's pretend he comes in. I'm not sure what you meant by that, Richard. That, uh. (laughs) He comes in and asks you this question. Our age difference is so vast between Cindy and I, and I'm the younger one, by the way, if people are listening and not watching. Um, I think they can tell. Yeah. (laughs) No problem with that. Well, I think, you know, every time Chris comes on, it's always cool to listen to stories, especially with actual realities, because I think that's one of the first hurdles people have a hard time getting over is like, why would I need to talk to somebody about my money? Hmm. Especially at the young age. Like, I know all my friends never even crossed their mind yeah. to talk to somebody about their money. And it's something that, like, I, uh, I was going to 
to approach somebody with mm-hmm. my ex-wife, Cindy knows, mm-hmm. and that was going to be one of our checklists. It's like, hey, we got to talk to somebody yeah. and figure it out. Like we had to have a game plan. And so I, uh, what, what was your, what's your elevator pitch to young people? Like, hey, you need to think about it. Um, like just I, come into the door. Yeah, I would say it's no different than what I tell anyone else, which is. Um, you, you need to have a plan, mm-hmm. right? There's an old saying that says, if you don't know where you're going, you're probably already there. <laughs> okay? I like that. Um, you've got to know or at least have some level of a goal set, right? And how do we define a goal? You all familiar with that? It's got to be written down. It's got to have a date set to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can have long, very, very long term goals like this is the age I want to try to retire by. And then you can have goals that are shorter that are you're trying to accomplish to get to the long term. Yeah. Goal, OK. So, you know, if it, it is a true statement, if you've never sat down and actually written out your goals, defined what you're trying to get accomplished and then created a path to get there, you don't have a goal. You have a dream. Okay, you're just dreaming and hoping one day. Right. Right. So I don't tell young people really anything any different that I tell people um, other than add a boy for coming in younger, because most of the people that come to see us are typically either already retired, just getting ready to retire Mm -hmm. or within, say, five years. Okay, And by the time and I'm not telling them not to come in and see me. But by the time you've waited that long and you've never done any kind of planning whatsoever, mm-hmm. if you've got some major holes in your plan and some major problems, it's, it's just very difficult many times to correct the path. Uh, you may be able to do it to an extent, but to get it where it could have been had you started in your 20s, your 30s, whatever, and had worked towards that, um, it's a lot of times it's just not doable. You're very limited on what you can get done. We see that the most with taxes and the fact that people save uh, way too much money into what we call qualified or pre-tax, tax-deferred type accounts, okay? 401ks, IRAs, whatever, right? And um, that is outside of people not knowing what they really spend, that's probably the two biggest problems we see with people coming in is they don't know what they're really spending because they never budget. They just, they get a paycheck and they're living, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then too much pre-tax money. And if you think about it, if, if we're at roughly 60-year lows in tax rates right now, mm-hmm. um, and, and you believe what I believe, which is that, especially for younger people like yourself, Richard, the taxes are going to be much higher because the amount of debt we have as a nation and so forth, it's just at some point they can't continue to kick the can down the road, then it would behoove you to be saving and investing in such a way that doesn't require every dollar you spend in retirement to have a tax implication to it. Well, another thing you were talking about, retirement, do people come to you who don't want to retire? Because I always feel like the retirement mentality is – for like majority of the people, but mm-hmm. then I imagine there's people out there. It's like you know I don't really want to retire. I just want to have a lot of money. Yeah, and like either be like oh if I want to buy a house or if I want to well, buy a new car. I want to say I want to buy a new car every yeah. two years. Uh-huh. You know, some people I've known someone like that, mm-hmm. and that's how they save their money is they want to be able to buy a car every two years. Yeah. So. Well, uh, yeah, there are people like that, and I'd probably be one of them. I, I don't really ever see myself my dad's 84 still running his construction business I grew up in okay oh that's great um I I don't really ever see myself retiring per se yeah Um, not like the beach retirement kind of idea yeah I mean maybe working less or you know uh training a younger crew to come up underneath and you know uh kind of fill in the holes and giving other people opportunities right um yeah, but I mean, there's people like that, sure. All, all they want to do is, let's say, uh, just help have somebody help manage their investments, manage their wealth. Um, but a lot of times, even if you're not looking at retiring, uh, at least in, in, the, in the truest sense of the word, like we think about it, um, that doesn't mean you don't need to plan, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah, that's what um, I, it's, it's kind of strange. You said it's about people's goals. Yeah, it's just what are your goals, right? Yeah. I mean— 
technically, and I think I've said this on the show before, so I won't beat the, the dead horse. But They forgot it. Um, I mean, if you think about it, retirement has nothing to do with age, right? Would you agree with that or disagree? Yeah, because well, you could win no. the lottery and be like, oh, I retired, and you're 30-something, yeah. and it's like, yeah. are you really retired? Like, yeah. What but is this, retirement to that? By the way, the Mega Millions is at $1.25 in case y'all are wondering where the— uh, <laughs> You let me go out and buy something, yeah. <laughs> in case y'all are wanting to run out and buy a ticket, I think you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning four times. Four times. No, I think, uh, I think that's on your website. That's the only clients you really like are the lottery winners. <laughs> the lottery winners, Because yeah. the right? there's so many of them. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it happens. Yeah. And they're so smart with their money. Yeah, you know? right? <laughs> They exactly. go out and buy a big house on that HGV TV, and they talk about the uh, the lottery winners and mm-hmm. and how they go out and buy these big houses. They won they won five hundred thousand dollars, so they go out and buy a four hundred ninety five thousand dollar. I know. And they just came out of this little apartment of one you know one room, yeah. and now they're gonna. Okay, you just spent all of your lottery money. Now what are you going to do? And they never say that to them. Like, you know, there's a great book that's a few thousand years old that uh, talks about wealth quickly gained is quickly lost. Okay? Uh-huh. And the concept behind that proverb is that when you gain wealth fast, fast, quickly, fast, mm-hmm. you have no idea how to manage it. You, you don't know what it takes to, number one, create the wealth, Number two, keep the wealth and manage the wealth, right? It's like and athletes, so people right? that come into money yeah. really fast that have no kind of background in it whatsoever. That's why most of lottery winners are broke within five years. They they just don't get it because they were broke to begin with. Now they're broke with a five hundred billion dollars or whatever it may be, and they just spend as much as they can, right? Well, it's like the NFL. Or they get taken advantage of. The NFL tried to bring in uh, advisors and, and people to counsel mm-hmm. with their athletes because that's what was happening. Sure. And they had no more. <laughs> no, that, that should be a client of Chris's, the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. You just go like there to call and you just pick them all up. <laughs> like, yeah, I can, I can get you to that, you know, that, yeah. that goal of yours. That's, that. Well, we um, have talked to uh, not NFL guys. You actually – I think you're actually required to have a certain certification now to serve professional athletes. Really? Um, Or at least I know there is one. I don't know if it's required. Mm -hmm. But we have had, uh, and I'll just say college-level young people come in um, because of the rule change that now college athletes can be paid. Oh, they can have money, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And they're making... Look good at those money. eyes. Look at Chris's eyes. He's I mean, going. They're making good wait. money. But yes. but here's the great thing about that: they're young. Yeah. And you know, who better to teach at a young age how to manage their wealth right. and to do the right thing with it mm-hmm. than young people who you know it, really it doesn't matter how they're making the money, but mm-hmm. starting young and learning and being willing and teachable, right? Um, has a lot to do with that. And it will so benefit them, you know, whether they're still at my office 30 years down the road or not, um, it will benefit them to learn just basics, right? Um, that they can kind of take that with them. So yeah, I always get mad at my dad because he always had that saying, you know, if you were saving since you were 16, you know, $1,000, you know, whatever it was. And compound yeah. And it compounded. And I was like, so why didn't you do that? <laughs> I didn't do that. Why didn't you do that? Yeah. My sister told me that and I kept saying, what? I'd have $10,000 by when? It, it, she says, don't worry about the 10000 Think about the million you could have. Yeah. You know, at this, if you if you just put it in there, don't touch it. Just leave it you alone. bet it all in black. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's been all in black. That's right. You know, it all I, in black, yeah. I sat down one time, and um, I, I was, I'll just say a little bit of a wild child in my college years. And uh, <laughs> I sat down one time and just did a really rough calculation of all the money I spent on um, <laughs> Go ahead. the things I did in college. Let's yes, put it okay, that way. Yes, okay, that's good. Things okay? you did in college. Okay. And I did the compounding thing, exactly what Richard just said. Uh-huh. And it made me, it literally made me sick. Oh. Because where Richard. I would have been in my late 30s, early 40s, had I invested that money rather than just wasted it, mm-hmm. rather, you, you see? Um, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't taught a lot of money principles growing up. I mean, we had a very traditional, you know, construction. Dad had a construction business and, you know, mom ran the books. And, you know, I, I learned a little bit, 
but most of what I learned was well after I was out of college and working and, you know, and then just began to dig in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was sickening. But I, like, I think oh. they ought to teach that. I mean, I think they ought they to should teach, teach that because it. it's eye opening and it does make you like, wait a minute. You mean if I spend spend a dollar, what what is the? I can't remember what she told me. If it was a dollar, you take a dollar. Is it a dollar, and you save that every day, a dollar every day, and then it compounds. Is that what was the number? Well, Do you remember? What would you rather have? Um, a penny a day doubled for a year. Or I forget the other side of it, a dollar and, you know, whatever. But if you do the math, it ends up being a penny a day doubled for a year is, uh, is worth more than, the, than dollar the dollar side of it that they did it. Yeah. I don't see how. Well, it's I, not equivalent, right? It's, okay. it, because you're saying a penny versus a dollar, it sounds like a big, okay. Yeah. But you're, you're saying a dollar, but I can't remember how the dollar was invested. And that's why it kind of messes up the analogy. Okay. Uh, but the bottom line is, is the dollar sounds like it would be yeah. hands down the winner. Exactly. But if you take a penny a day and double it, I don't even think it was a year. I think it was 30 days. May have been just 30 days. Um, yeah. I'll look it up. Yeah, look it up. Anyways. Oh, he's gonna okay. Good. Our fact checker so, will will look. Yeah, the, it's it's the magic of compounding, right? Compounding, and, and man. That's right. You know, doubling a penny a day, you're it's a fifty percent return a day. So, but you can't. I mean, isn't that doesn't that become impossible after a while? You can't keep. You're compounding the stuff yourself. You're 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 adding a penny. And then a penny, where's the other penny come from? It has to come yeah, from you, right? Yeah. So you're I mean, it's certainly... Taking your wealth? It's basically, though, showing you how a very small denomination, if you save consistently and aggressively yes. when you're young, mm-hmm. can turn into a whole lot of money down the road. Okay? That's um, amazing. It's kind of the thought process. Well, but, but having the saving... I don't know what gene that is to be able to save and... And how do you teach that? How do you make that person understand saving and you can't okay, touch it. it? It says, would you rather have a penny doubled every day or a month uh, for a month or $1 million? That's what it was. Yeah. And at the end of 30 days, you'll have $5,368,709. Yeah. From the penny? Yeah, from the penny. Because it's Cause doubling every, every day. day. Every day is doubling. Okay. Yeah. So, so, yeah, because it says when you hit day 28, that's when it really starts going crazy because at day 28, you have $671,000. And, and then he doubles. doubles. And then the 29th day, it doubles. And then, uh, oh my goodness. I yeah. love that. Yeah, it's just math. I'm not going to do it, but I love that. So, it's kind of like people, um, people with investment returns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, if you ask them, okay, if you're sitting in your portfolio and 2022 happens and your account drops 30%, how much do you have to make to be back to even? And they'll go, well, 30%. No, you don't. Think you got to think about the math, right? So if you start with $100,000, you lose 30000 of it to the mm-hmm. market. Now you only have seventy. Right. To get back to $100,000, you're going to need much more than a 30% return on $70,000 to break even. So that is, you know, I use that as a way to teach clients that if the way you invest and the way you manage risk in your portfolios is traditional, which I don't believe has worked in quite some time, right? Um, and you expose yourself to these law, really large drawdown events, that's where people lose over time. It's because, you know, they just, it takes so much longer to recover after the loss. And especially if you end up in an economy like we are kind of right now, yes. where we really don't know if the markets are going to return historical returns over the next decade or so, mm-hmm. and you're down significantly, um, unless you have a really good investment philosophy, I mean, similar to what we employ, where you can take advantage of the volatility in the market, um, it's very hard to get back to even. That's why a lot of people that lost 50-plus percent in 2008, I mean, it took them years to recover. Right. Okay. Um, and it kind of varies depending on the person and their risk tolerance and things like that. But anyways, that's a, it's a good exa- analogy of how math works and just people don't think No, but yeah, that, in terms of that. So. That would be, a, I think they need to teach that in every high school. They need to, in some 
place. Yeah. When I served on the school board in New Caney ISD years ago, um, that was one thing I tried to push for, which was, now they did have a class in high school that was taught in all the high schools, and it would teach them basics like how to balance a checkbook and, you know. You're they, kidding. They really oh. were, you know, things that were very practical, yes. functional. Um, but having, I think, a high school level finance type course mm-hmm. uh, would be hugely beneficial. Oh right? my word! Especially now nowadays, of course. But and I'm sure you know kids don't believe that <laughs> don't believe that uh, you know you have paper money and coin money. They just believe in a card mm-hmm. that has that. All you have to do is use this card. Yeah. And who cares about who has to put the money in it? Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. Your parents are putting money in that card. Right. And that's why it spits out that money. It's not because it likes you. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think like with my kids, you were talking about, you know, how do you teach them how to save? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, when I was the one financing the wallet, meaning before they started getting jobs and, you know, growing up, um, we, we taught them the same way. I mean, we would teach them, okay, um, you're not getting allowance from me. If you want money, you're going to work for it, okay? So go mow the yard, go, you know, whatever it may have been chore-wise, chore and we would pay them certain amounts to go do chores. And then when they got it, it wasn't just freebie money for them to go do with whatever they wanted. We would teach them, okay? First of all, you pay yourself, right? Well, actually, that's not true. First of all, you pay the Lord. Right. right? That's okay. So we put 10% <laughs> uh-huh. towards, and you want to call it charity, we would call it the tithe. Right. Okay? And then you pay yourself. And then whatever's left is what you learn to live on. Okay? Yes. Um, if you don't do it that way, number one, you'll be selfish because you're unwilling to open your hand and give to others. Right. Number two, um, you'll never save. If you don't pay yourself first, you will never save. Does anyone wonder why the government takes the money, your taxes, directly out of your check? It's because nobody ever looks at their pay stubs so it doesn't hit them in the face as hard. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's right. When, I mean, I'll never forget the first time I got a pay stub and looked at tax withholding. I was like, where'd all my money go? Because I'd already calculated how much I'd made, right. hourly, you know, whatever. And I looked at it and I was like, good grief, this is ridiculous, right? But they do it that way through payroll deduction so that people sure. don't feel it as bad. You know, mm-hmm. Out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, paying yourself first, you you feel it, you see it, right? And then you learn to live below your means. That's the biggest key as a as a materialistic society that we are, right? Mm-hmm. We're a consumption society. We're a consumption economy, right? And people have just gotten used to wanting things, and so unfortunately, we're at the point where people want too many things, Mm -hmm. and they shoot themselves in the foot financially because of it, and they never save, they never plan, and then they get to retirement age, and all of a sudden they're looking around wondering who's going to help them. Well, that's something you should have thought about for the last 30, 40 years. That's why Sam loves you. Everything you just spelled out about (laughs) how you would deal with the kids and do that, he's going to say, why didn't we do that earlier with the children? Because Well, don't get me wrong, Cindy, okay? Mm -hmm. You can teach to your blue in the face, right? That doesn't mean they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, they did while they were in my house, right? Because that's just the rules, okay? Mm -hmm. But once they get out, I, I don't have any control over that. Right. But I know that I've taught them principles that if they'll if they'll imp- uh, put the principles into practice, mm-hmm. they'll be so much better off. Oh, but sure. I but I can't force them to do it. Right. And it's the same way with clients, right? I am your financial planner. Okay? My job is to put ditches on either side of your road towards retirement and to tell you if you will stay between these two ditches, mm-hmm. you're going to be fine. But if you get a wheel off the road and into a rut, off into the ditch, it's probably not going to be good. Right. But I can't force them to do it. Sure. Right? That's I can right. tell you what I think is in your best interest and how it should work and you know, all those things and help you adjust annually as we kind of move towards retirement. But at the end of the day, if you don't go execute what I give you, um, I, you know. That's just, you know, how God feels. Right. Because <laughs> I've given you all these great ideas. 
ideas and those great principles. And if you just follow them, exactly. you're going to be happy. Exactly. But if you don't, you know, it's, you're going to be coming to me. Well, I look at it like this. There are some things that we have control over. Right. Or excuse me, let me, let me start on the other end of the spectrum. There are some things we don't have control over. Mm-hmm. We, we just don't know what the future is going to bring. Okay. Sure. Um, we don't know what the stock market is going to return. Right. We don't know where taxes are going to be 20 years from now. We don't know where inflation's going to be. Okay. Uh, we have good long-term averages that we use to try to run assumptions and projections. But there are some things that we can control. You can absolutely control how much money you make, how much money you spend, right. how much money you save. You have control over those things. Now, right. maybe it's not 100%, but you, it's certainly more than, you know, what we're using with assumptions, mm-hmm. okay? Nobody knows the future, but we can control the things that we act on and that we do. Right. And, hey, just focus on the stuff you do have control over and quit worrying about the stuff you don't. That'll take care of itself as we kind of move along the path. Um, if you're not doing the basics, you know, am I budgeting? Do I know how much I need to be spending? Am I living beyond my means or no, right? Um, those are things that you can do. Anyone can do, right? It just takes a little bit of effort. That's amazing. When I mean, I know you have a lot of people that pass before you and come into your office. And what's great, everybody, is that uh, they will. His office will answer the call. And uh, if you want to have a meeting with Chris, you have a meeting with. Uh, this is just a, you know, you're going to kick the tires kind of thing, mm-hmm. and you're going to figure out uh, if. If you if that works and yeah. the personalities are right and all that, and he's not going to charge you for that. He just wants to, you know, and wants you to get to know him so you feel like you feel like you can trust him. Yeah. But I wonder when you have somebody come in, mm-hmm. and this is just, you know, I'm just wondering, um, that maybe has so much money is kind of a nefarious thing. You're going, um, Okay, you just put out in front of me uh, twenty million dollars. I want to know where you get this money from. I gotta know. Yeah. Uh, what would you? Uh, is there is there anybody to come in that you you question where that money came from? <laughs> <laughs> so huh? we we annually uh, have to go through something called AML training, uh-huh. and that or uh, excuse me, yeah, AML training um, that stands for anti money laundering. Anti-money laundering. Okay. Oh, and what, what you learn is how people essentially launder money by trying to go to a bank or an insurance company or a financial office or whatever. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and so you learn the flags, the red flags to look for. Okay. Oh, that's... Um, so it depends. If they come in with an account at, you know, let's say another brokerage firm and um, it's got $20 million in it, there's nothing weird or nefarious about that okay. right meaning that money's already in the account it got there somehow and whoever the money's at would have had to have figured that out to vet right? them okay okay if he walks in with 20 million dollars in leather bags <laughs> okay that in cash uh yeah i'd be a little worried okay that would kind of freak me out a little bit um and i'd probably be making some phone calls yes yeah. um that's i was just wondering how you would handle that i mean that would be yeah, and, and, and I mean, it, it's... It could happen. You do, I mean, we have to teach our staff about that stuff because, I mean, one of the, like, one of the ways that they'll do it is they'll have illicitly gained cash, okay? They'll go and, let's say, buy an annuity from a guy like me, mm-hmm. okay? And they'll take this money and try to buy into the annuity contract with, let's say, a money order that they go and pay the cash for, get the money order made out to the insurance company. The insurance company, if it's not caught before that somehow, um, which if, if I had a money order for, you know, whatever the amount was, that that's very odd. You just, you don't see that very often, uh-huh. if at all. I don't even know if any companies would still accept them on, on something like that. But if it did happen and it got that far, um, what they do is once it goes into the contract, Typically, the nefarious person trying to launder the money within a very short period of time comes back and surrenders the contract to get their money. Now it's laundered, okay? okay? It's been put into the financial system, and now it's taken back out, right? Mm-hmm. And now they have, quote, unquote, clean laundered money. Well, 
that would be very unusual, if not downright crazy, for someone to go buy an annuity contract and surrender it so quickly because they have really steep surrender penalties. And, you know, if that person walks in and goes, you know, I changed my mind on that contract and I'm not worried about the 9% surrender penalty. Yeah, that's, I mean, those are just all those red are flags, all your, okay. one right after another. You know. Are you, are you, um, you have to uh, report that? Yes. Is, okay. So <laughs> that's got to be so scary because, you know, it puts you in the sense, in the position where you have to tell on that person and then that person gets caught. Um, that, that that doesn't come back on you. That would scare me, Daddy. Daddy, don't tell well, him. Well, yeah. I mean, and I've had, I've even had clients, you know, talk about, because not too long ago you had the whole $10,000 denomination thing with banks and they were going to report it to the government and all. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. So I've got, I've literally had clients tell me, well, I, I, we don't ever move. Like if they've got banks, multiple banks with CDs, right, and they want to yeah. move their CD to another bank, they'll do it in less than $10,000 increments because they're terrified of like you know and i'm like no that's that's not exactly how that works yeah right i mean it's oh my goodness that's so yeah see what a risky business you're in yeah i'm telling you exactly but you you gotta learn to you you have to just learn to read people pretty quick right i think so and just ask a lot of questions right i mean um i've never in in all of my years um had somebody come in with cash Really? Not, oh, okay. not one single time. Okay. No. Um, I think most crooks have figured out that that's kind of a, a, a stupid move. <laughs> <They're> saying, <laughs> you know, first of all, we don't hold any money on premise. That's right. right? Oh, We're not yeah. allowed to hold. And even yeah. if I get a check that comes into the office by accident, um, I'm not allowed to keep it overnight. I immediately have to send it out. Uh, we don't ever take custody of client assets. Okay. Um, those are is that always, one of your compliance things? That yes, you, it okay. is. Yeah. I know you are full of compliances because I remember when we first did a, a spot with you, and, then, and you said, I need to make sure, you know, this, uh, what we do mm-hmm. and all, of, all those things. And what you say about a Cindy mm-hmm. is uh, compliant. Yeah. Now, my mouth should – I love the <laughs> the love you have to disclaimer – Cindy doesn't represent us, and Cindy, you know, what she says. But it's always gushing over you, so I, I didn't know if gushing was compliant or not, but I did. It it's, was a personal well, thing. I, yeah, I mean, as long as I'm not asking for it, I guess, is no. maybe the, you know, well, the well, you do because that's how you are. You're you're so nice, I have to tell people how good, good, nice you are. So you ask for it. I'm yeah. like, i got to tell them. Yeah. No, but you are, and that's what I think um, people are – it's just so scary where to put your money now yeah. and everything that's happening. And we know about every bank closure or everything that happens immediately. Mm-hmm. And so we get so jaded. And then to find somebody that we feel like is someone's trustworthy, is yeah. someone that's going to be around and will take your, you know, will answer the phone yeah. when you call. And that kind of thing is is like amazing. Well, the you know, the bank, you mentioned the bank thing. that That's not done. Okay. Um, it's not that banks are going to continue to, let's say, shut down and close, although there have been some that have, yeah. um, even above the the more public ones that were in the news for so long. Um, but what what you're seeing is a is a an, a real heavy tightening of the credit availability with banks, and you know that's part of kind of how you're evaluating with the economy and so forth. Is it you know. Are we headed into a recession? Are we not headed into a recession? If we do, how deep is it going to be? Is it, you know, this, that? And part of what affects the economy is the ability for individuals and especially small businesses um, to get credit. Yeah, right? right. And if that continues to tighten the way that it has been, right, mm-hmm. um, it's going to continue to create problems and it'll create problems for banks as well. Sure. Uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. So I actually, I brought an article in that I wanted to read you a couple of lines from that kind of are along those lines. Okay. Um, and I, obviously I'm not going to read the whole article. This is more just a few lines, but the point I'm going to make with what I'm getting ready to read, this was part of what we discussed the other day that you said you wish you had recorded, yeah. <laughs> Yes. is that nobody, I don't care if they're the top economist in the U.S., 
the Federal Reserve and their folks, who they employ some of the smartest economists supposedly on the face of the planet. Uh, that should tell you something. Mm-hmm. Um, talking heads, financial heads on TV, financial advisory office. Um, no one knows what is going to happen in the financial markets and in the economy in the future. We all have our opinion, right? but we know what opinions are like, and I won't repeat that kind of crude phrase, okay? Mm -hmm. So my point is, I want you to listen to something. This is an article. This is just a a publication out of, um, and yeah, you notice I got my old man readers now. You do? I had to go to them. I couldn't hold off anymore. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, but you look distinguished. It's okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That was a look I was going for. It was distinguished. My wife just says, no, not distinguished. You just look old. I was like, okay, thank you, honey. (laughs) Anyways, this is just a a financial publication that um, called Advisor Hub that I kind of keep an eye on. Um, I want you to listen to this. It says, recent incoming data has made us reassess our prior view that a mild recession in 2024 is the most likely outcome for the U.S. economy, says Bank of America economist Michael Gapin. Okay. And then he goes on to explain kind of what he's looking at to reverse course on his idea about that we're going to have a recession and it could be, you know, ugly or whatever the case is. He says the resilience of the U.S. economy, despite the Fed tightening cycle, has forced many on Wall Street to repeatedly revise their forecast about whether or not the U.S. is going to fall into a recession. Okay. Um, While few economists, including those at Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, maintain throughout the year and still maintain that the U.S. would skirt a recession despite the rapid run-up in interest rates. Now, so here we have the first part of the article. These guys have reversed course Mm -hmm. and said, we used to think we were going into a recession. Now we don't think, or it'll be very mild, that it's going to happen. Then later down in the article... Many other Wall Street economists with standing recession forecast aren't ready to pivot just yet. Bloomberg Economics forecast a U.S. recession will begin in the fourth quarter or the start of 2024. Wells Fargo, Jay Bryson, said he needed to see continued disinflation in the months ahead to believe that we won't see a recession. Barclays, Jefferies, all these companies, why am I telling you this? Okay, This is a perfect example in the wrapper of just one article, and I read a hundred of them mm-hmm. a month, right, where they don't know. No. They, everyone has an opinion, right? but no one really knows what's going to happen in the future, okay? Now, I'm telling you that because I believe that if you're investing the way that investing has been done for the last 60, 70, 80 years, mm-hmm. um, you're going to be in trouble into the future because there's no doubt, I don't believe, that we're going to continue to see economic trouble because of just where the U.S. is, okay? Mm -hmm. Right. And the fact that no one's changing course, at least not yet, okay? Mm -hmm. Also, taxes will likely be higher, right? Um, So volatility has been higher than it has ever been. We're not expecting the kind of growth we've seen over the last 15, 20 years that people have just gotten myopic and are used to about, mm-hmm. okay? So then the question is, if you're in what I call the buy, hold, and hope type of investment mentality, I mean, how, how do you make money in that in that kind of market? How do you protect yourself against risk where for the last five years, it feels like every year and a half or so, we're taking bear market hits, Okay, Um, investing and retirement planning has changed. It's it's you know although although a lot of it may look the same, it's not the same. And investing is a big part of that. Sure. Um, If you're investing in a way that doesn't actively and tactically uh, tactically uh, approach risk management in your portfolio, Mm -hmm. and you're just sitting in a number of funds or investments or stocks or bonds or whatever. And riding the market, hoping that in 20 years you got enough money to retire, you're going to probably be sorely mistaken. Right. Okay. Because that's, you know, you're right. That's why you need somebody that's that's studying it, that's watching over it, that says, you know, this is, looks like this is getting a little 
risky to do this. We're going to change mm-hmm. and do this, you know, and let you know about it. But I think that that's what, you know, a lot of people are afraid of financial estate management. And people go like, I don't have an estate. And I would never call what, you know, my three, two, you know, houses an estate or anything like mm-hmm. that. But it's it's just knowing that you would be there and all this, the things that you're watching over for them because they don't have time. They're doing yeah. all the stuff that they're trying to do and then trying to, to educate themselves on the market that's so volatile yeah. that that's what that's why they need you. Well, now. that's partly why I'm mentioning it. Yeah. Okay? No, it's I think because that's... 85% plus of the way that people's money is invested mm-hmm. is in a traditional buy, hold, and hope approach. Right. And the, the biggest... Um, I guess the biggest assumption that that approach makes, and, and when I talk about buy, hold, and hope, that's my little funny colloquialism for what we call modern portfolio theory, or the buy and hold approach to investing. Mm-hmm. Many people would be more familiar with it by hearing the 60-40 por- portfolio, or the 50-50 portfolio. True. 50% in ver- diversified stocks, mm-hmm. 50% in bonds to hedge against market equity, which hasn't worked the last couple of go-rounds, unfortunately. 2022 is a perfect example of bonds failing to hedge the drop in equities, okay? That historically has worked. But the closer we've gotten to this side of things, we we see time and time again where these academic theories, which is what they are, efficient market hypothesis, modern portfolio theory, Um, all of those types of uh, academic theories, they just don't hold true because in reality, markets aren't efficient. No. Okay? And they're certainly not rational, right? Exactly. And so if you invest in a way that assumes that they are, mm-hmm. or, or if you're investing through what we call opinion investing, where you're listening to some talking head flip a coin and then trying to position for what you believe he just said is going to happen, I mean, that's at best a 50-50 chance right. that you're right or wrong, okay? Those mm-hmm. methodologies don't work, and I can prove that time and time again. Talking heads, especially if they carry a Ph.D. behind their name, mm-hmm. more often than not, studies have shown they're just flat-out wrong, and they're not even as willing to admit they're wrong because they're so arrogant because of the letters behind their name well, that they don't want to change their opinion. But I have to say <laughs> that the that the American people, I believe, are, are so skeptical now and yeah. so you know wanting to say, I don't believe half of what you say, then just, you know, you're going to have to prove all that. But I do believe that. I don't know if, Richard, did you get your question answered about um, the divorce thing? Divorce about, thing. Yes. You know, all your friends that are married, oh. they're thinking of divorce. How do they, what do they do about their money that they have to yeah, share? Yeah, do, do have you ever encountered issues like that where people do separate and then the money has to be separated? And mm-hmm. basically it's kind of like one of them, both of them go, okay, we still want you to be clients of yours. But yeah. We're <laughs> yeah. To split the account. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I imagine that happens a lot. I was yeah, just thinking I mean, about it just that. it goes from confidentiality at the couple level to confidentiality at the individual. Yeah. Level, okay. If there's a separate, and that that has happened many times over the year. I mean, I've got them today. Where and the you husband would, and wife are still clients, but you would take money, more money from me to screw her over, right? No. No. <laughs> what, what what determines I'm what kidding. determines the split is the courts. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's so. like, hey, here, here's an extra hundred thousand. Just make sure her investments don't work as well as mine. Okay, can't do that. Yeah, just make sure. Just make there's sure it happens. There's a compliance thing. Does he have to be? Well, because I imagine there's so many. Like again, we talk about the hurdles that people don't never experience that, and uh, it's like some. There's always the partner who has no idea. Yeah, and there's the other partner who's really into it, or the guy or the girl who's the one, yeah, see, Cindy raises her hand. Cindy and Sam. So yeah. then it's all, all of a sudden you got to reteach this person. You're like, hey, this mm-hmm. is actually what I've been doing for you for 20 years. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. My husband just said you took care of it. Yeah, took care of I everything. Mean, it's, it's a pretty big deal. And I mean, I there, there still are clients where, you know, let, let's just say it's the husband that kind of runs things. Um, the wife never comes to the meetings, which mm-hmm. I, I don't like, okay? <laughs> Um, yeah, because Cindy. no offense, Cindy. Uh, because I, I'm not asking you to come because I think you're going to understand everything. 
I'm asking you to come because you need to have familiarity, at least even if it's a cursory level, right, of familiarity with what's going on, what you have, where it's at, those kind of things. Um, it's just better that you do that. Rather than the spouse dies, uh, his plan, which is what he came there for, works, meaning I step in and basically take care of the spouse, right, and the financial deal. That's why most of them come in that capacity. Um, even self-managed investment guys that come in, they will come to me for financial planning, continue to invest in a do-it-yourself fashion, but they want me there because they know that either A, they can't do it forever, or B, they're going to die mm-hmm. at some point, and they need somebody to help take care of their wife, and they want someone they trust, okay? Right. So, yeah, that's what minutes. we're talking about. Well, well, easy peasy. I just won't tell her I have any money. There you go. <laughs> Lie. <laughs> but that's wonderful. Uh, Richard, thank you for all that you do. And uh, we, we appreciate you, Richard. Absolutely. Um, but absolutely, we appreciate Chris Wooten. And we're at the end of the program. Already? I just, I know it. Oh, really? How fast, how fast it goes. This was so I didn't get to so half of what fun. I wanted to talk about, Cindy. See, he comes in. He, he's so <laughs> precious. He comes in with all these equipment and all, everything's all lined out. And then I'll go, so, Chris, if you had a septic tank in the back of your, you wonder what you'd do, you know, <laughs> Oh, it's, okay. it's your show. It's not my show. So. Yeah, no. But um, yes, and I, I have to know the audience. And because yeah. I have people like Dennis Yeah, they're O'Connor, big septic tank and, Yeah. No. I have different uh, people out there that I have to keep them interested in this because they may not like tax stuff. Hmm. But I think it's very interesting. You've covered everything in a lot of different places and people yeah. but i gotta say uh thank you thank you thank you to our sponsor chris wooten who's here today and also all of the um first responders we love you we appreciate you and we just we can't believe how brave you are and thank you for what you do all right everybody i'll see you next week uh y'all have fun have a good weekend i know it's only thursday but that's my friday, my friday. <laughs> so okay see ya